Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll look them up on the website, uh, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also, give them a call. Also, by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. Visit lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy. Bob is the uh, chairman of the Cato Institute. He's a constitutional scholar. We'll be visiting about the process of the presidential election, not the politics, but a lot of uh, misunderstanding and misinformation about how we proceed from here if uh, the election is to be contested. So we'll find out about that. We'll visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of, of uh, Josephus of Oz, and Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston and uh, author of several books. His latest is How Everything Happened, Including Us. We'll visit with the Professor Bell as well. It is December the 23rd, and on this day in 1783, following the signing of the Treaty of Paris, General George Washington resigned as Commander-in-Chief of the Continental Army and retired to his home in Mount Vernon, Virginia. He addressed the assembled Congress in this way, happy in the confirmation of our independence and sovereignty and pleased with the opportunity afforded the United States of becoming a respectable nation. I resign with satisfaction the appointment I accepted with dividends, a dividends in my abilities to accomplish arduous tasks, which, however, was superseded by a confidence in the rectitude of our cause the support of the supreme power of the Union, and the patronage of heaven. His willingness to return to civil, uh, civilian life was an essential element to the transformation of the war of independence into a true revolution. During the war, Congress had granted Washington powers equivalent to those of a dictator, and he could have easily taken solitary control of the new nation. Indeed, some pol- political factions wanted Washington to become the new nation's king. He modestly, uh, in declining the offer, and resigning his uh, military post at the end of the war fortified the Republican foundations of the new nation. Although he asked nothing for himself, Washington did enter a plea on behalf of his officers. While I repeat my obligations to the Army in general, I should do injustice to my own feelings not to acknowledge in this place the peculiar services and distinguished merits of the gentlemen who have been attached to my person during the war. It was impossible the choice of uh, confidential officers to compose my family should have been more fortunate. Permit me, sir, to recommend in particular that those who have continued the service in this present moment as worthy of the favored, favorable notice and patronage of Congress. The patronage Washington requested seemed most pressing as the Army had narrowly survived several mutinies and near-attempted coups uh, the previous autumn. The veteran officers who had helped to uh, Washington intact the desired western lands and thanks for their service, their claims were, would constitute a major issue for the new American government as it attempted to organize the settlement would have been of the colonial backcountry. He concluded, having now finished the work assigned to me, I retire from the great theater of action and bidding an affectionate farewell to this august body under the orders I have so long acted, I here offer my commission and take any leave of all employments of public life. Of course, his respite was quite brief. In just another couple of years, he would become president of the United States in 1788. George Washington, well, really interesting. It always seemed remote to me as I studied history uh, in high school and college. Uh, but uh, now reading John Burlow's latest book, uh, George Washington, Entrepreneur, and learning more about him, was what a great man he was. Well, the Florida Department of Health reported 79 new cases of COVID-19 and four additional deaths in Collier County on Tuesday. The seven-day moving average of uh, cases, new cases, is 126, down from 169 on December the 5th. So uh, things are going in the right direction right now, if in fact new cases is a concern. The real concern, of course, is those in the hospital, and there are 82 COVID-19 patients in Collier hospitals. The new deaths, by the way, listed, um, and none of them happened in December. One of them was on November the 10th, a 91-year-old woman whose positive case was counted by the state on November the 10th. Now, these people didn't necessarily die of COVID-19. They died with it, according to the statistics. And by the way, you may remember, we talked about this, that the CDC is now including COVID uh, cases 
deaths, including uh, in influenza as well as pneumonia. So all grouped together as cases for COVID-19. Well, President Trump uh, threatened on Tuesday not to sign the $892 billion coronavirus relief bill, 5,500 pages, that includes desperately needed money for individual Americans, saying it should be amended to increase the amount of the stimulus checks. The outgoing presidential uh, president uh, threat, <clears throat> I don't think he's outgoing, but with less than a month left in office in this term, throws into turmoil a bipartisan effort in Congress to provide help for people whose lives have been upended by the pandemic. The bill they are now planning to send back to my desk is much different than anticipated, he said in a video posted on Twitter. It's really a disgrace, he said. Nancy Pelosi was quick to embrace Trump's call for bigger checks in the relief package. After the president posted his video, she tweeted, Republicans repeatedly refused to say what amount the president wanted for direct checks. At last, the president has agreed to 2000 Democrats are ready to bring this to the floor this week by unanimous consent. Let's do it, she, she tweeted. Both the House of Representatives and the Senate passed the legislation on Monday night. Trump said he wanted Congress to increase the amount of the stimulus checks to $2,000 for individuals or 4000 for couples instead of the quote-unquote ridiculously low $6,000 for individuals currently in the bill. Trump also complained about money in the legislation for foreign countries, I should hope so, the Smithsonian Institute, and fish breeding, among other spending. I'm also asking Congress to immediately get rid of the wasteful and unnecessary items for this legislation and send me a suitable bill or else the next administration will have to deliver the COVID-19 relief package and maybe the administration will be me, he said. That's great. President Trump. So uh, he's, I think, implicit in this is he's saying, I'm not going to sign it. You'd have to amend this bill, get rid of the pork, and increase the amount of money to Americans, and uh, I'll sign it. Good message from the president. Well, President Trump's attorney, Rudy Giuliani, uh, joined Steve Bannon's War Room Pandemic. You've never watched that show. It's pretty darn good. It was a podcast. And during the interview, Giuliani said that Arizona legislature will attempt to pass a resolution today to certify President Trump as the winner. News spread like wildfire yesterday that Arizona lawmakers would make this attempt to declare President the winner today. But Giuliani said Arizona lawmakers do, have, do not have the votes today to make that happen. He said that he's hopeful Arizona lawmakers will make it happen and close the deal before Christmas. And another development, now that's, uh, of course, Arizona. Ron Johnson uh, also tweeted, there's a lot more to the story of Wisconsin's 2020 election and recount. Three million people in our state voted properly, but Judge Tropas uh, testified that over 200,000 votes were not valid. I don't know if you've seen that video, but uh, yes, he did. A judge said 200,000 of the uh, 5 million votes are invalid. So uh, sources in the Trump administration confirmed to the national file that uh, President Donald Trump's most vocal advocates within the White House have determined that both the U.S. Code and the Constitution contain language that requires Vice President Pence to reject unlawful Electoral College certificates, but Pence must act uh, no later than today. The drafters of the White House memo believe that the federal checks to the state's elections resides with uh, Vice President Pence and his role as President of the Senate. Additionally, Pence has the sole power to determine whether to reject impermissible states' uh, electors. Our Pence is legally required to do this on the fourth Wednesday in December, which, of course, is today. Uh, this is so interesting. So we'll see what happens today. He needs to send this out today. And uh, we'll v visit with Bob Levy here in just a few moments about how this all may, may transpire. Now, in addition to that, a growing number of lawmakers are planning to reject the Electoral College's votes. On Monday, a group of legislators, led by Representative Mo Brooks from Alabama, reportedly met with the president and his legal team to discuss plans to object to the Electoral College vote on in January 6th. Brooks has been slamming the supposed outcome of the election due to what he called evidence of widespread voter fraud. The overwhelming, irrefutable evidence leads to one conclusion, he stated. If only lawful votes can be eligible and American citizens are counted, President Trump handily won the Electoral College and re-election, he said. And White House uh, Chief of Staff Mark Meadows confirmed the meeting occurred at the Oval Office as Republicans prepare to mount a battle against voter fraud. 
A number of Republican lawmakers and incoming legislators are confirmed to have been in attendance, including Representative Jody Heiss, Matt Goetz, uh, of course, of Florida, Jim Jordan, and incoming Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene from Georgia. The lawmakers reportedly implored President Trump not to give up the fight on a, for election integrity heading into the vote, uh, vote count. Meanwhile, Goetz has called for Republicans to fight the stolen election results at, until the very end. Democracy is left undefended if we accept the results of the stolen election without fighting with every bit of vigor we can muster, he said. The Constitution states one uh, lawmaker each from the House and Senate must object to the results in order for the full Senate to vote on the validity of the outcome. The House and Senate will meet again January 6th to uh, go through all this. So we're going to uh, discuss this with Bob Levy. He's our next guest. He's the chairman of the Cato Institute. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. To find out more, visit lifeinnaples.net. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Bob Levy. He is the chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. By the way, uh, St. Matthew's House does such a great job with no government funding to help those in need with homelessness and whatever the situation might be. So I hope you'll uh, patronize the businesses of St. Matthew's House and uh, make a contribution by year end. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andy Joppa. He is professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Right now, we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is a constitutional scholar. He's the chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. And tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and devoted to free markets, private property, securing individual liberty, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Thank you, Bob. And uh, we've been, you've agreed to talk about this election process, not necessarily the politics involved, but uh, about uh, how, how this whole process is supposed to come down. Of course, 
this is all coming down to the 11th hour, so appreciate you providing us some content for understanding how the process can work. So for starters, could you outline the process by which we elect the president? Um, the election was set this year by federal statute to occur on November 3rd. So the candidates' names are on the ballot, but we don't vote for the candidates. We're actually voting for electors who, in turn, are pledged to vote for each candidate. And then the electors meet, and they vote. This year they did that on December 14th, and they do that separately in each state. After their vote, the ballots go to Congress, and Congress has the task of finalizing the outcome on January 6th of next year, and then, of course, two weeks later on the 20th, uh, the president is inaugurated. So that's the sequence of events. So uh, how are the electors determined? The federal constitution, Article 2, says that each state shall appoint electors in the manner that the legislature of the state directs. Uh, the only requirement is that that process has to be established before the election. You can't change the rules after the election is over. All 50 states have opted uh, to choose electors by popular vote. That's the way we do it in mm -hmm. this country. Uh, Congress can challenge the outcome in one or more states, but presumably won't do so if the vote count in the state has been certified by state election officials and they have what's called a safe harbor date, that that certification has to take place six days prior to the Electoral College meeting. That would have been December 8th this year. And this year, all of the vote counts were uh, certified um, by the state election officials by the safe harbor date. So what happens if Congress challenges a slate of electors or there's more than one slate that uh, claims legitimacy? There is what's called the Electoral Count Act, uh, passed way back in the 1800s. It requires Congress to consider the term is any papers purporting to be certificates of the electoral votes. So if you have only one slate in a state that has been certified, then Congress is supposed to accept that slate. If there are multiple slates and none of them have been certified, or, or if somehow there are multiple slates and more than one have been certified, then Congress has to choose which one to accept. And Congress will also weigh in if, and this is what's at issue right now, at least one House member and one senator objects to a state's electors. Currently, we do have a House member that said he will object. Mm -hmm. We do not have a senator, although several have said they're thinking about it. If there is that objection, mm -hmm. then Congress votes and state by state on the objected states, and both houses have to agree. If there's no agreement, then Congress is told by the statute to select the state that's been approved by the state executive, which is the governor in almost all the states. And then if there's still no resolution, none of the electors for that state uh, would be counted. Mm. Now this year, if it gets that far, the slates in all of the contested states were approved uh, by the governor. So what would happen on January the 6th if there were a Biden slate and a Trump slate from, say, well, you know, Georgia, uh, Wisconsin, all these contested states? So let's assume the House, uh, the Congress does vote. The House, of course, is controlled by the Democrats and would no doubt pick the Biden slate. What happens in the Senate? Well, don't forget this vote takes place on January 6th. So it's the new Senate we're talking about. The new Senate is going to have 48 Democrats and 51 Republicans. The Purdue runoff in Georgia occurs on January 5th and won't yet be finalized, won't right. be certified. The Leffler runoff <clears throat> doesn't matter because Leffler is seated. And the reason she's seated is because she was appointed to replace a retiring senator until a successor could be elected. So she'll be in Congress. So it would appear that the Republicans 
would have the edge if the Senate voted. But don't forget that there are quite a few Republicans. For example, Romney, Collins, Murkowski, Sass, and now even uh, Mitch McConnell that have already congratulated Biden and might, um, I think it's plausible, that they would vote to select his slate and not uh, Trump's slate. Of course, we don't know unless and until that happens. Boy, some folks are going to have to put on their big board pants. <laughs> this is not business as usual. So suppose neither candidate wins a majority of electoral votes. So currently the count is Biden 306, Trump 232. Uh, if the majority is to <clears throat> 70. So in order to get below a majority, you'd have to take 37 electoral votes away from Biden. Uh, and the 12th Amendment says if neither candidate gets a majority, that is 270, then the House elects the president. Interestingly, when the vote occurs in the House, each state gets one vote, and it would take 26 votes to win. So if this were to go to House, it looks as though the Republicans uh, would prevail because they control, we're not sure, but at least 26 states. They're, I think one state is still undecided. Mm -hmm. The Democrats will control um, probably uh, 24 or 23 states. So the Republicans would have the edge on a state-by-state -state basis, assuming they kept their troops in line. Uh, <laughs> The Republicans would win if it got to a House vote, but frankly, I doubt that they would get that far. Hmm. So uh, President Trump wanted a certain states to reject the Biden electors and choose Trump slates instead. Uh, uh, would that have been legal? Well, there's some dispute about the legislature's power to do that, uh, especially because that process was not established prior to the election. So I think in this instance, it's highly unlikely that a state legislature could simply reverse the results of the popular vote without compelling reasons. And the infirmities that Trump has alleged were considered by more than 80 judges and election boards and governors and secretaries of state from both political parties. And so far, not a single authority has determined that there were sufficient irregularities that would have affected the results of the election. And indeed, President Trump's own Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, which is overseen by the Department of Homeland Security, um, released a statement saying that the November 3rd election was the most secure in American history. There's no evidence that any voting system deleted or lost votes, changed votes, or was in any way compromised. And then, of course, as we know, Attorney General Barr concluded that he hasn't seen fraud on a scale that would have affected a different outcome. And then finally, the Supreme Court in the Texas case um, ruled unanimously rejected uh, Trump's request for, uh, for uh, relief. So I would say that uh, it is highly unlikely at this point that the uh, state legislature could step in and reverse the results. So there, there's some discussion, for example, Wisconsin um, might have a special session for its legislature to beat and to review the election results. Uh, same thing with Georgia. Apparently there's a lot of pressure for that to happen in Georgia. What if, for example, uh, the legislature met in Georgia and wanted to uncertify or decertify uh, the electors or the election results? Would that be legal? Well, of course, you know, you're... You're raising these questions appropriately, but they're questions that nobody really knows the answer to because yeah. this is a matter of first impressions. never happened before. But my own opinion is that, no, it would not be legal because there's nothing in either federal or state statutes that permits decertification. So once the certification process has occurred um, and has met the time frame that's been established, namely the, the safe harbor by December 8th and then the vote in the Electoral College by December 14th, subsequent action by the state legislature, I don't believe would hold muster. Well, it's so uh, interesting. Legally, I mean, you, you nobody, nobody knows and unless it happens and gets to the Supremes. Yeah, this is uh, just uncharted territory. If, uh, right. Bordering on a constitutional crisis, we'll see how this all turns out. But 
Bob, I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Good to be with you. Thank you so much. Again, Cato.org, C-A-T-O dot org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Jopp, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Offshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York style theater at its very best. And I proudly served on the board for 15 years as the president of the board. And I hope you'll uh, visit the website, get some tickets at gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston. Right now, we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa. He's author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob, and Merry Christmas to you and your family. Merry Christmas to you as well, and your family as well. I have a special story for us. Well, uh, most of what I'll talk about today is either tragic or absurd, or both tragic and absurd. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have a Christmas story, and I think it's, it's worth mentioning because it highlights the the nature of America, at least the America that was. Uh, I was scheduled to come home from Vietnam on December 29, 1968. Uh, My base was notified on December 21st that my grandmother uh, had had a heart attack, was apparently near death, uh, and she was desperately trying to see me before she died, and she wanted to see me before Christmas. With with that in mind, my my base commander, my squadron commander, and my immediate uh, OIC uh, authorized emergency leave. Normally that was not available unless it was an immediate family member, but they authorized uh, emergency leave to get me home. The question was, how was that going to happen? Uh, we contacted Long Bin uh, Army facility. Uh, I talked to them up there. I told them the story. They sent a helicopter down to my base at Bentway to pick me up and take me up to Tonsonute uh, Airport. Uh, sitting in Tonsonute, I talked to the dispatcher over there, told my story, they made uh, provisions for me to uh, catch a ride with a cargo plane, a C-144. Uh, they took me to Japan first. I stayed with them, uh, Alaska. Then they flew me into Fort Lewis, Washington. Uh, when I got to Fort Lewis, Washington, uh, amazingly, there was an Army jeep waiting for me 
Somehow the story had got transmitted to Fort Lewis, uh, a jeep waiting for me at Fort Lewis to take me down to SeaTac Airport uh, to get me home to New York. I, I had a, a flight out of uh, out of SeaTac. I bumped a ride on that flight, uh, got to New York. My father picked me up in New York, drove me to uh, to the hospital. Uh, it was, I got there Christmas Eve, December 24th, 1968. Mm. My grandmother was still alive. I, I walked into the room, tears just started flowing down her down her cheeks uh she survived that she lived for for a year longer beyond that but uh that whole cooperative effort of of this uh, amazing linkage of of the the great people in our in our armed forces and their commitment to to a single soldier to to have that particular wish of a dying grandmother fulfilled on uh i still look back on that with with just incredibly fond memories bob uh it's, a, it's an amazing story and i think it speaks volumes too i mean uh, obviously speaks about you and your character. I'm certain that uh, had you made a different impression, none of that would have happened. So uh, it is a great story. The universe can be so supportive of us if we, in fact, embrace uh, our lives and, and accept our lives for what they are. Interesting story, Landy. Thank you. I, I've always found that, that people desperately want to help other people if given the opportunity. I think yeah. it's, a, it's a natural human inclination. I think we just have to create the pathways for that to happen. Uh, unfortunately, I, I don't see much of that at this point or as much as I as I believe used to exist in the past. But uh, and that, and that is certainly a great a great loss for all of us. Bob. It's, it's such a wonderfully joyful moment, uh, not only for the for the benefit I received, but for each of the people in my 8000 mile trip home. Each of them, I think, felt a, a joy in being able to be part of that of that uh, process. Yeah, you well, know, great story, Andy. Thank you for that. So let's uh, talk a little bit about the distribution of the vaccines right now. I just talked to uh, uh, one of our guests who said that they were scheduled to take the vaccine on the 28th of December. Whoops, that uh, that all got withdrawn with no explanation. What are your thoughts? Well, my my uh, focus at this point in, in terms of our discussion is going to be on the uh, what may be the restriction of the vaccine going to senior citizens. If we look at the relationship between uh, Joe Biden and his major medical advisor, not epidemiologist Fauci, but his major medical advisor, Zeke Emanuel, Zeke Emanuel has long dealt with concepts such as the not only the, the quality of life post-treatment, but the number of life years. Uh, life years is once a patient's life is saved, how many life years or how many years can we expect that person to live? Within that model, they have always, or Zeke Emanuel has always diminished the value of, of senior citizens. If I was to be writing a blog on this, I, I would probably start it out with first they aborted children, now they want to abort seniors. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's all kinds of, of, of commentary on, on who should get the, uh, the, the vaccine, all built on identity politics. Uh, uh, one Harvard professor said that it shouldn't go to middle class teachers. Why? because they make middle-class salaries and there is a preponderance of white people in that group. It shouldn't go to seniors because uh, those 65 and older have a higher percentage by far of, of white senior citizens. And white seniors, according to, the, uh, to this professor, uh, already receive far more benefit in terms of longevity than, uh, than other than minority groups. Uh, so here we have this, this uh, wonderful vaccine uh, warp speed produced entirely, as far as I'm concerned, by the pressuring of, of the great president, Donald Trump. And, and this is now being politicized into nothing more than a identity politics issue. Um, I, I don't know how it will play out. The, the, the push uh, to, again, get this into 100 million essential workers' hands before the elderly. Now, essential worker, in their mind, is almost any worker. Mm -hmm. uh, so this, uh, if we're talking about the uh, the actual essential workers, I think they should get the the, the vaccine first. They're they're in direct contact with the potential of of uh, getting COVID nineteen. Uh, but on the other hand, the next hundred million of essential workers that put those before senior citizens just absolutely a death sentence. Uh, I'm sure for thousands of people, that decision will result in the death of thousands of seniors. Bob. And by the way, uh, Zeke Emanuel, if I'm not mistaken, said that uh, people really shouldn't live beyond 75 because they cease being productive after that <laughs> point. I think, well, he actually, yeah, I, I think he said you that. You know, I, I, if I was to be really honest, I would say that a 75-year-old who has a proven track record of contribution and, 
and value is probably worth more than the average five-year-old who is a uh, who is an unknown commodity coming forward. Uh, and the vast majority of them will not make any significant contribution. So I, I think that we, uh, if they're going to talk this way, and I don't normally want to talk this way, but I would say the average 75-year-old of accomplishment who has uh, uh, put a lot into their life and achieved a lot and a benefit to society is far more valuable. I don't care how many years they have left uh, than the average five-year-old who is yeah. a totally unproven commodity. But so, this, this type of language is so foreign to me, but it's not foreign to the left, and it's no. not foreign to the proponents of identity politics. So hasn't it been refreshing the politically correct and the lack of identity politics in the last four years has been just absolutely refreshing? Unfortunately, it's starting to rear its ugly head again, and it's just awful. Hey, Andy, I have so much more I want to talk to you about. Can you stick around? I will be here, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity maximize your tax deduction support your favorite charity and help a local child in need by calling naples auto donation center naples auto donation center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer just call nadc at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there you get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by nadc goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I want to do a little shout-out to Lula B's Diner in the Great Tree Shopping Center. Uh, Lula B's Diner does a terrific job. And, in fact, we're going to meet, I'm going to meet Andy there for breakfast here next week. So uh, Lula B's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center, great for breakfast or lunch. Andy, again, thank you so much for joining us. Always good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So let's, uh, we've now got this allocation of funds in the COVID relief package. The president said he is just disgusted with what he read. He thought it was going to get something different. What are your thoughts? Well, let me, let me get to that. I just have another thought, somewhat a comedic relief thought. Uh, I, I, this is it, Bob. We may run out of African-Americans. Now that sounds absurd on, on its face. Uh, <laughs> but what I'm, what I'm suggesting with identity politics, Every organization and every part of every organization, whether it's the, the government, uh, corporate, uh, even the military, every unit of every organization in America is almost by, re, by absolute demand going to have at least one African-American among their population. Um, I don't think we're going to have enough African-Americans to go around. So that, that's somewhat <laughs> comedic, but there's, a, there's an element of truth to that. What happens in a situation of of forced positioning of people in, in, in organizations when it's drawn from a limited population. This is not a negative comment about African-Americans, but eventually you start drawing in people who have no proven competency in those areas. Yeah. So this is one of the, uh, the things we can anticipate with a, a, a heavy-duty dose of, of identity politics. Yeah. Uh, getting to the COVID relief pack. So, no, Andy, okay. just let me just insert here, because uh, before it slips yeah. my mind, uh, I, I post a lot of Andy's, not all of them, but a lot of Andy's uh, commentary on my website, uh, and it's, correct me if I'm wrong, if you go to bobharden.com and check out, correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> you wrote a very, very poignant and, and in some ways very funny story about being gray, and I uh, just encourage our listeners to take a look at that, because it's so interesting. Okay, Andy, yeah. back to... Uh, that, that was named Walking a Mile in His Shoes, and I, I think it's it's an interesting piece, and I think it's probably worth reading if I might uh, blow my own horn on Absolutely. The, the, the COVID relief package, again, a typical Nancy Pelosi uh, uh, move uh, given to uh, Congress uh, and the, 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 the entire Congress, um, uh, two hours before it had to be voted on, 6,000 pages 
uh, full of, of incredibly inappropriate uh, amendments, um, money going to the Dalai Lama, money uh, to deal with uh, horse doping, money to expand the Smithsonian. Um, um, what, what else was in that? Um, okay. Oh, building border walls in the Middle East. Bob. Yeah. You know, this is this is the type of, of, of inflation that we put into that package. Uh, very few, um, none of the of the uh, Congress people could have possibly uh, possibly read this. Uh, I think there's a good chance President Trump may veto this. I don't know if he can pocket veto this. Um, for the sake of your audience, the difference between a veto and a pocket veto, a veto can be can be overturned with a supermajority. A pocket veto is just where the president does not act on it, and it never goes back uh, to to the Congress to be uh, to be over overturned. Uh, so the president has already said this. This may have to fall into the hands of the next administration. And he adds, and I think he's just rubbing some salt in their wounds, Bob. And he said, and that next administration may be me. Yeah. So that 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 created an uproar in the uh, in in the left uh, because Trump once again was 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 stating that he has a uh, still has a solid chance, uh, at least within his estimation. Uh, to win the presidency uh, from 2020, Bob. Well, I think he does, and uh, what I'm reading is that he's he met with some congressmen uh, just, I guess, last night, if, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, in other words, making plans for uh, for challenging the uh, electors on January the sixth, and uh, you know, apparently a plan is in place, and apparently the president, the vice president of the United States, is the president of the Senate and oversees the process and has the the power, if you will, of uh, running the meeting so uh could that we are in uncharted territory when it comes to this election well there's no doubt with this many uh dual slate of electors being submitted to congress that is a as you say bob that is uncharted territory so we, we really don't know how it will play out what we do know when i talked about this with with you last week there is this clear path for the president to uh, to win re-election uh, again, I, I indicated then, I'll say it again now, a clear path is not necessarily a likely path. But mm -hmm. as you just laid it out, that uh, every uh, every part of the process is going to be in place, uh, whether it actually uh, reaches uh, fulfillment, we have to wait to see, of course. Um, but I, I just always have this feeling that the president has some additional weaponry up his sleeve that is yet to be revealed. And uh, I, I always hope that's true. I hope it's true right now. Uh, I think it would be uh, an, uh, an amazing turn of events and one that uh, unfortunately would create some variation of chaos in America. But I think it is a far better course of action than allowing four years uh, of, of Democrat control of this country, at least four years. Yeah. And if they manipulate the potential voting process of the future, uh, then it may go beyond that four years into the indefinite future. Yeah. If we look at the voter fraud right now and people say there has been none and it's been in, uh, investigated, it has not been investigated. No one, no court at the, at the state level, the Supreme Court, uh, no legislatures have actually uh, analyzed and weighed the available information. And until that happens, and if it, it, if it doesn't happen, uh, then we're going to be in a state of perpetual disunity in this country. So, um, you know, I, I, no one at this point that, uh, that says they know what's going to happen knows, obviously. And, and that includes certainly my, myself. Uh, but I do know that there are things that we can anticipate uh, based on the, the outcome of the Georgia election. Um, I, I have no good feel for that. I, I have a, a, a negative feel, uh, in, if I were to say anything, uh, since fraud has not been challenged seriously, uh, any place in the country, particularly, let's say, in Georgia, uh, I have a, a, a great uh, a dep depressive reaction mm. that this Georgia election may be stolen even at the runoff level. Oh. Yeah, so so interesting. One thing, I, I do want to make a comment. One of the attributes of our president, President Trump, is he just, he doesn't have any quit in him. He does not quit. You know, for example, I'm sure a lot of people, maybe he's had a lot of pressure to, look, concede He's not going to do that. Now, I also believe that if he gets beaten in the election, if he put, he'll leave it all on the field. But if he's beat, I mean, he's played a lot of sports and athletics in his life. I don't know if you're aware of this, but he was uh, recruited to play baseball for the Philadelphia Phillies. So he was a, a talented athlete in his time. He's a, he's a, a single-digit handicap in golf now. So 
uh, he's, he plays fair, but he plays to win, and he leaves it all on the field. So if there's an opportunity, I think he's going to seek it in every way possible to, to win there, this. There's no doubt what you just said is true. And uh, at this point, uh, as I listen to almost everyone else in American politics, the only adult in the room is Donald Trump. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I, I tire of hearing particularly rhinos talk about the the, the negative personal attributes of this man. I, I haven't seen those in my estimation, and I'm a, a fairly good observer of human behavior. I, I, I've taught courses in psychology for, for 40 years, Bob. This is a sound human being by right. every estimation. Right. And at this point, uh, to lose his adult perspective on, on the issues facing America would be a, a, a tremendous loss to, to everyone in this country. Uh, you've said it so well, Andy. Well, you know, again, this is uh, uncharted territory. I think it, it could evolve into a constitutional crisis. But, uh, uh, you know, I think it's all for the benefit of the United States, quite frankly. And there's evident, evident fraud, a lot of fraud that's occurred. And uh, uh, there's a lot of politics in this uh, this electoral process right now. And uh, I think uh, somehow, some way, the courts have decided not to sort through it. So hopefully the legislators will and it'll uh, be resolved fairly and in the interest of the American people. Yeah, I think most of us on the right can can say uh, with a high degree of, of honesty that if, if we were convinced by every any reasonable assessment of the voting process that President Trump lost this election, I, I think we could we could live with this. It right. wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be something that would please us, obviously, but uh, we we could live with that. What we can't live with, Bob, is this. Uh, what we see as a realization of a fraudulent election where no one has assessed the, the particulars of this election. And as I f- finished off last week, let me just state right now, where is Gina Haspel? Uh, she has, she has been, uh, it's been uh, rumored that she is uh, held on treason in Gitmo. And with all the rumors surrounding Gina Haspel, head of the CIA, she has not made a public appearance, and this this becomes a an, an amazing curiosity piece in the in the current America, Bob. Absolutely, Andy Jabba. Andy, Merry Christmas to you and your family. I really appreciate your p- coming on the show. A great commentary. Thanks so much for joining us. You have a great holiday too, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulubee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best and now building a new performing arts center in downtown Naples. You can find out more by visiting gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Larry Bell, professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of many books. His latest, How Everything Happened, Including Us. By the way, make a great Christmas gift. Professor Bell, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Well, Bob, thanks for having me on. It's always a great pleasure. Yeah, it's my pleasure indeed. Our pleasure, Professor. <laughs> so uh, your latest piece, and by the way, uh, Professor Bell writes a piece on in Newsmax at least once a week. Uh, it's On Point is the name of the column. If you go to Newsmax.com, you'll see it right down the right side of the, the website. It's called GOP Senate Must Red Light Radical Green Biden Appointments. Maybe you can tell us about it. Well, if we lose the Senate you know, in, in Georgia, you know, I say we, I'm talking about the conservative, you know, the Republicans, admittedly. Um, I think we're in for a world of hurt because uh, there's a lot of... Uh, uh, legislation that I think is going to be pretty ugly that we're going to be seeing coming out of the Biden-Harris administration. And uh, we see evidence of that in uh, certainly the appointments that are being made in the cabinet and in some of these other nominee, you know, nominees. Certainly it'll happen in the courts as well. Uh, and we're seeing, uh, I think, two things that are pretty pretty clear, hard to, hard to miss. One is the identity politics, where we need to have one of everybody, you know, you, that's what the Soviet Union does, you know, it used to do, break people into Marxism, break people into into different social classes, and and so on, and pit them against each other. So, of course, you have to have, you have to have uh, one representative of as many uh, identity groups as you can have without regard to merit. And then when you look at merit, uh, particularly the you know the I'm alarmed by the the number of uh, really zealots on climate and mm. and, uh, and you know the uh, uh, we're going to see a lot of John Kerry and we're going to see uh, Buttigieg in, in, in charge of transportation. I, I guess he probably took a bus once or something. I'm not sure exactly <laughs> what qualifies him and and. Uh, uh, Gina McCarthy, who's uh, going to be a, a climate czar and so on, and it's it's pretty scary, Bob. Oh, it's very scary indeed. I'd like to point out to our audience that uh, Larry's also written several books on climate change. His latest is "Scared Witless: The Profits and Profits of Climate Doom." It's just a terrific read, and so uh, my my point in saying that is that uh, when he says that there's going to be some appointments uh, or this this climate business, I mean we've got away. From, Gina McCarthy was a disaster under President uh, Biden. Or, I'm sorry, Obama. And uh, when she, if she gets back and back in power, we're going to see all the stuff that uh, under the Obama administration is going to return in spades. Well, I think to you know, looking at kind of the big picture, uh, one hand they're they're, they're going to decimate the energy industry, you know, the mm-hmm. the hydrocarbon industry, you know, fossil fuels, and so on which produce about 85% of our energy, and, and that's pretty much the same around the world. You know, it's vast preponderance of energy comes from fossil fuels, and, uh, and some from nuclear, but we've been cutting back on nuclear. The plants are, you know, basically so old and they're not being, you know, renewed and so on. And we get, you know, 3%, if, and I think that's a generous estimate, from wind and solar combined, and, and they're intermittent, and you can't rely on them. To be there, you know, you can't you can't recharge your Tesla at night when the sun's not shining and the and the wind's not blowing, and and uh, so in addition to just decimating our energy that we rely on for industry and keep our laptops going and everything else, we're going to add all this these electrification for for car, you know, like cars and so on onto the grid, which you know, which is it's just a, a disaster in waiting and. And we have, and on the basis of of, of of stopping climate change, it's been going on for billions of years. And mm-hmm. and 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 no, the oceans aren't rising alarmingly, and no, the temperatures aren't rising alarmingly. We, you know, they've been warming gradually since the last little ice age, about 1850, it ended, and it'll probably end in uh, 
you know, and keep them bits and starts warming until the next major ice age comes. So it's so it's a lot of it's a lot of hoopla about nothing, and it really well, it's about something. It's about it's about ripping off taxpayers and energy users, and it's going to decimate our, our our not only our economy but our lifestyle. Yeah, and uh, so. To me, this is really is really terrifying, uh, and it's it's really very interesting. It cuts down party lines where the you know for conservatives, it's a the climate thing is, and I think they're a lot more savvy in terms of the science. Is way 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 down the list of things they they're concerned about, and they're right. And uh, and then you look at the you know the you know the uh, you know the, you know, the far left and. Uh, it's, you know, it's just more important than China and more important than North Korea and everything else. Yeah. You know, we're doomed, and uh, it's, it's just really remarkable. It is remarkable indeed. And uh, just to uh, underscore, I mean, we never consider or we don't hear about all the uh, carbon-based stuff that <laughs> that is used in order to develop these windmills and these... Uh, uh, what happens when these solar panels wear out, which is, I think, they probably last, what, about 20 years or less? Uh, where are you going to yeah, put them? Yeah. What's going to happen to them? I mean, it's 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 just plain tomfoolery, quite frankly. Well, it's not, it's not only that, you know, the, they're going to have a huge landfill problem. All of these batteries, you know, the, you know, huge, huge amount of batteries, both for the power systems, and, you know, that you know keep keep the lights going when 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 uh, you know the wind's not blowing, and and uh, not only that, but. The materials that go into them, you know, the the lithium all come, mostly comes from China. Mm-hmm. So right now we're energy independent, you know, because we because of the fracking revolution and so on. And now we're we're going to put make ourselves dependent upon materials raw, you know, uh, raw earth materials and rare earth materials and uh, lithium and so on that we have to buy from China that make us dependent upon China. And then all this, all this stuff's going to wind up in landfills. So it's a, uh, you know, it's not something that it takes a great genius to figure out that this is a recipe for real disaster. Uh, but uh, yeah. it's just to me, it's a staggering lunacy. It is indeed, and you, you hear them talk about the science as being science deniers, the climate deniers, and so forth. I mean, not only is the science incorrect and and indefensible. It's also, I mean, it's just uh, the whole notion of limiting free speech and having a debate and having a thorough uh, discussion uh, about uh, issues just uh, tends to just disappear, quite frankly. And it's, uh, we're already talking about amendments and trying to do away with the Second Amendment rights for uh, American citizens. So it's, 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 we have to, to your point, we have to win the Senate. Well, we, we certainly do, because if, uh, if they're able to, to take the Senate and eliminate the filibuster, the sixty-one filibuster rule, then basically they, you know, Katie bar the door. They can, they can do everything they want. They can pack the Supreme Court with a bunch of more liberal judges, and then forget about you know, forget about your Second Amendment rights, and actually forget about your First Amendment rights. And, well, absolutely. And uh, you know, they can, they can bring in Puerto Rico and Washington D.C. as states to secure their. Uh, you know their voting advantage, and and uh, there's very little they can't do. Once they do that, you know we're not going to see uh, uh, any. We're not going to see a two party system anymore. Uh, that's exactly because, right. because they'll control it, and uh, and this is you know Georgia is so important. Indeed, it is. Professor Larry Bell, again, a doubt professor at the University of Houston, an author. It's a terrific read. I hope you'll get a copy. I got it on Kindle, but the name of the book is How Everything Happened, Including Us by Larry Bell. Professor, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Bob, Merry Christmas to everybody and you and your your wife. And have a let's hope that uh, the next year is a little bit better than the past one. Absolutely. And, and the same to you, Professor. Thank you so much. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got great guests for tomorrow's show. Keith Flaws, the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Visit with Michael Yate, uh, Michael Cannon and William Yateman, both from the Cato Institute. We'll be talk- Michael is in uh, health studies at the Cato Institute, and William Yateman is in uh, law. So we have a lot to talk about with them. And then Bill Barnett, of course, former mayor of Naples, will be joining us as well. 
Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. And if you'd like to get on the distribution list for my uh, newsletter, again, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.